bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and this is Star Talk. Bill Nye, Bill, thanks for coming on to Star Talk. Uh, it's great to be here. Oh my gosh! I'm and reluctant I got... to call it my favorite thing ever, but uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> at Chuck Nice, yes, I am here. Thanks for coming. Always. We, we are now in Cosmic Queries. Cosmic Queries. I, I always want to do Cosmic Queries After Hours. Yes. Well, we're doing it After Hours. <laughs> and this is, of course, where we take uh, inquiries from all across the interwebs. Uh, the interweb, internet, the, uh, our fan base, Our fan base and listeners, yeah. from everywhere. And uh, they ask you questions. We do not share the questions with you. Today, of course, we have the uh, uh, inimitable Bill Nye with us. Who, but here's the, here's the who thing. Who is an expert. So the topic today is what? The topic today is rocket science is hard. <laughs> right, right. And so while I know a little something about rocket science, mm -hmm. whatever I know, Bill Nye knows more. Okay. So I figured I'm not going to take this alone. Right. So I don't look stupid on the air. <laughs> no, well, you I'll never... just say, oh, Bill, you take that one. Right. I, I could do it, but you're, I got you here. Nice. <laughs> well, could Boy, you, that's pressure. Bill, you work for Boeing? You're an engineer, yeah, man, yeah, from way on, back. Yeah, on airplanes, you, which are rocket-like. Well, but No, but you've, you've thought about rockets in your life. <clears throat> I've thought deeply about rockets. Well, there you have I've it. launched a lot of rockets. I've thought lightly about rockets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Chuck, go straight uh, in. You know, between the two of you, we might just get somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's jump right into this. Our uh -huh. first question is from uh, Paul uh, Curcio, or Curcio, mm -hmm. one or the other. Uh, and Paul is coming to us from Twitter. Paul says this. Have any benefits come from some of the shuttle disasters we have witnessed? Well, there's only been two disasters. We say some of them. There were two shuttle disasters. Okay, yeah. You Check. learn something every time. Are you kidding? Yes, we learn things. Uh, by the way, this is uh, the next rockets are not going to have the plane mounted on the side. That's not going to happen again, people. A greatly uh, complicated. I mean, the space shuttle orbiter is yeah. has the engine under its belly, and they're adjacent to one another. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to do that again. We learned that. Put it right on top. Put it right on top. Or take off like an airplane from a runway. That would be the ultimate. But it takes a very lightweight airframe, space frame structure. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's not doable. It's not there quite yet. Just okay. Quite there. However, isn't it true that? That wasn't a good idea, even without the accidents. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so then idea. what do we learn from the accidents? This uh, will be Challenger 1988. One, uh, oh. Oh, maybe you're right. Yes. Late, late 80s. No, no, 80s. Oh, no, 86. 86. It yeah. absolutely was 86. Yeah, 86. Yeah. And then uh, Columbia. Columbia. And 2001. Yeah. So okay. uh, what it shows you is. Yeah. And you got to take the February ice. February 2002. Got to take the ice seriously. Pokes a hole in the insulation, then you got trouble. Wait, wait. The ice comes from condensation that would only happen because they're in a humid environment called Florida. Uh, I think you get ice even in New Mexico. You think so? Yeah. 20% humidity is going to get your ice on it? Yeah, okay. yeah. Things are cold. All right, all right. You got to take it seriously. So the Normally, the ice isn't a problem. It's <laughs> when you have it mounted on the side and the ice falls down on your insulation. Oh, now if you're on top of it and the ice falls down, it just hits just the, the launch pad. Rock on. Rock on. Chuck, so you were pitching over there. That's what, no, that's what we learned, I guess, you know. I'd heard from my rocket people that uh, rocket disasters are uh, opportunities r rich in learning experiences. Yes, hilarious. Yes, the, the Antares blew up. 
which was a drag, and that was what I. Like Antares was Orbital Sciences' yeah. mission to re, to resupply the space station, yes. but not manned, though, right? Un, unhuman, unmanned, just full of money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, blew up, and, and they quickly every- said, "Well, the <laughs> they quickly said the, the officials quickly announced that the the astronauts on the space shuttle are." Are fine, even though this was a supply, a ship, supply ship to them, that they'll do just fine until the next... I'm thinking, then why would you have to send this one in the first place? Well, they've planned for something going wrong from time to time. I bet you have stuff in your cabinet next time that there's a hurricane and you got to pull down your uh, salmon in a can, your tuna fish. It's called a pop- car and you drive somewhere. Okay. Like- <laughs> uh, it took you three days, though, didn't it? Not to change the subject, but you didn't leave right yeah, away. I, w- I was hit by you Hurricane had your, Sandy. You had your fingers crossed for days. Yeah, we lost right. uh, electricity, and so that was... But that's not exactly rocket science. No, it's not. It's not. So so we did learn some things. Uh, the design of the space shuttle, anything else? How serious you have to take, take it. Right, ice yeah. is a big deal. Okay, so right. you got everybody on the crew saying, uh, by the crew, I mean people at the base, people who are working people on, on the ground, control people room. on the ground saying, well, it seems like about a one in 300 chance that it'll work and people are launching anyway. It shows you, it, do, it, could, it could be a lot more reliable than that. Right. Okay. It says okay. after the fact. So Where I, were you before the fact? Oh, we were all waving arms and pounding. My, right, uh, right, right. No, my old aeronautics professor said, you know, don't ever, ever do this. I paraphrase. Mm-hmm. But it was done anyway for uh, financial reasons. Mm-hmm. And it was really, and I know we're answering this question. It was really during the Nixon administration when he decided that for the sake of votes, NASA jobs were more important really than NASA exploration. And the evidence of this, if you look at Nixon's Oval Office – at one point, he's got Earthrise, Apollo 8, on uh, Isaac Newton's birthday, Eve, 1968. And then six months later, after he's got the votes in California, he takes that picture down and puts up another one. Wow. He was not a believer. Wow. He was just being a politician. Yeah. I don't believe well, Just. You. Politicians are <laughs> hard jobs. <laughs> Politicians are hard jobs. Sorry, let's, ladies and gentlemen, you couldn't see the hands the going hands up going up. The Do it again, Chuck. Sparrow, what do we need to yeah. get the space float? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how about next question, yeah, Chuck? Ne- next question, Chuck. <laughs> pages right. of them over here. Yes, we do. Okay, so uh, this is from at Fish, my man. Fish, That's his name? Fish That's his man. name. Mm-hmm. At Fish, my man from Twitter. This is Cod. His name is Cod. And his, Get it? His handle is at Fish, my man. How do we balance the burning desire of our genetic predisposition to explore with the need to ensure safe passage i think he's kind of that's a great question he's kind of talking also about maybe commercial space flight and let me let me add some punctuation to this and i'm going straight to you on this bill you're an engineer and you will tell the launch people look you shouldn't do that because it should be a little safer than that 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 could go wrong don't do that at some point somebody's got to push the button and launch the damn oh, thing. oh yeah you got to shit all the engineers get on with production at some time you have to stop listening to the engineers and get on i'm sorry what what <laughs> <laughs> what is that threshold uh, Who well, decides what, it? Well, that's what we call management. Okay. Doggone it. So the managers have to be literate enough to know what the acceptable level of risk is mm-hmm. and uh, act accordingly. But the naive the, the naive mind would say no risk is acceptable. So then, Oh, no, no. That's not a true fact. That's a false fact. That's a false fact? Mm-hmm. No. You've been in automobiles. And there's a risk attached? Yeah, and Especially I'm sure when you, I'm driving. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you have a sense that something could go wrong. And these guys, the people who fly in rockets, have a sense that something could go wrong. And I'm very sorry about the um, Virgin Galactic crash the other day, mm-hmm. a surprising result, and one that they will straighten out. And that, I claim, is um, not just part of the process, but it's part of the management process where you learn what is acceptable. And I think what was going on, changing the subject to the space shuttle in the previous question, a lot of people knew the risk was a lot higher than was advertised, and they pressed on anyway. At Virgin Galactic, it looks like, perhaps, the risk was underestimated, that it's actually more dangerous than, than mm. people were saying. Mm. Uh, in other words, there wasn't uh, deliberate, deliberate ignoring of the facts. There was uh, ignorance of the facts. Ignorance. So we'll see what happens. Two different reasons. Two yeah, different why reasons. the yeah. feather, th- feathering thing? It's a surprising result why that would cause trouble. And it could have to do, I'm shooting from the hip as an engineer, could have to do with the materials involved. You know? So this is the brakes put on too early, the air brake Yeah, system. well, just too high. 
too many molecules in the atmosphere at, at the, that level. Uh-huh. I mean, if you'd waited a little longer where you got up fewer molecules per cubic something, mm-hmm. you might have been – I'm just working with the data we have. Stay right. tuned. There are people who are experts at figuring this out. Wow. Okay. All right, Chuck. That's Give very it to cool. Me. Here we go. This is from Carlos. And uh, Carlos is CDS on Twitter. Wants to know this. How easy is rocketry these days? Been tough recently. Do we pretty much have it figured out? Or are we just kind of playing around? Let me shape that question back to you, Bill. We've been boldly going where hundreds have gone before. I know. Into low Earth orbit. I would think that low Earth orbit should be zero risk at this point, given how long we've been doing it and how many people have done it. So that if we're going to put lives at risk, it should be by doing something we've never done before. If I were to think of an acceptable risk, it'd be doing something that's never done before, not doing something hundreds have done before you. So we just saw it back in in November, in October, we saw two disasters, two space, it was early November. Mm -hmm. We saw two disasters... People not even going into orbit. So here's what I'd say to you. You may be uh, mixing. The modern verb is conflating. Mm-hmm. Air traffic, air, airplane, airliner travel with rocket travel. A few hundred is not that many. Right. You think about how many airplanes people tried to build in the early 1900s and how many crashed. How many failed. Yeah, and was, from the films, it looks like 100% of them yeah, yeah, well, so, I saw the, the film. In the other films. words, 100 or 1,000 isn't that big a sample size, really. And the other constraint when it comes to the Antares rocket, the Orbital Sciences rocket, that, blew, that was an old rocket being repurposed, being refurbished. Okay, so, so are you saying that maybe we need to go up into low Earth orbit so much that it becomes like well, this is uh, airline. This is what it's he's saying. Stream. This is what so Bill's saying. As, as many as a hundred sounds, as many as a hundred flights sounds like, it's not that many it's, in the statistical scheme of things. Yeah, have, do you know how many flights take off every day and land every day? On, on I mean, it's I can't it's say some, that I do. It's some. I have a video. I'll show you. It is some countless scary it's number. Tens of thousands. It, it's countless scary number. Of You're talking airplanes. globally. Globally, yeah, there are globally. about there are about a hundred thousand passengers in the air at, at any, any given time. Yeah. Wow. And if you said to the Wright brothers, you know, you know, in about a hundred years, we're going to have a hundred thousand people in the, in the air, air at any given time. Yeah. They, they, they. Yeah. So that's what I say about space travel. We're just uh, compare the two accidents. Antares, a very old rocket, being refurbished, and it had a leaky fuel line. It sounds like, or a leaky pump. And then uh, the Virgin Galactic rocket was a brand new rocket, and so it had the brand new problems. Mm-hmm. The in between ones is what we're all hoping to develop. The in between, we want in between. We want in between. <laughs> so there you have. So Carlos, there's your answer. Thank you. Rocketry mm-hmm. not easy. Hopefully, we'll get to a place where it is. That place will be in between. In between. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got it. Well, got in between it? old and in right between off, old and right, right off the, right out right of off the shop the, right. still it, smells new. Anytime somebody said this is a brand new yeah. thing, try well, that's to- where Letterman asks uh, Sir uh, Branson, "Are you going to go on the first flight?" Oh, uh, not on the first flight. Yes. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. Give him a few. So there you have it. If I'm it has that new pilot. rocket smell, <laughs> I'm sorry you don't want to get pilot. on it. Okay? I feel bad about it. Wait till you pilot. see a couple sandwich stains on the seat. <laughs> that's, the, that's the rocket you yeah, want to That's take. right. That's true. All right. Let's go to Deepak Prem. Deepak Prem at Astro Prem. He wants to know this. He says, I can understand that it's justified to spend resources on space exploration. But why risk human life in the name of tourism? He is quite emphatic about that. So, Depak, you have the option of not buying a ticket. You'll be okay. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to go. Uh, no, stay, but he's thinking in the abstract. So stay here and so on. The people who are willing to take the risk will throw down and go up. Uh, is there any benefit well, to, to, well, to the risk? Everybody involved? who flies in space, by all accounts has this new appreciation for the Earth. When you see the Earth from above, apparently I've not done it except by uh, the TV, mm-hmm. uh, it changes your perspective. You realize what a fragile small world we live on. Yeah, but Bill, Bill in the early days, there were joyriding airplane flyers, right? Yeah. All right. So they must have known risks, and some of them would have died. And that was 
uh, and that was the touristic risk. So it's clearly people will do this. People will get on roller coasters and take risks. No, th- no. If if they if they if you told someone it was a one hundred percent chance they would one in a hundred chance they would die by getting on a roller coaster, nobody would take the yeah, roller coaster. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. That's right. But if I you do. say there's one one in a hundred chance you'll die climbing Mount Everest, people line up around that's the block right. to that's do it. That's right. That's what they do. Why? What's the difference? I guess you're exploring, going someplace new. You're uh, going where no one has gone before. And uh, Mount Everest is just Mount Everest, where roller coasters are pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so, like, there's only one of those. Yeah, there's only point. one. You know, Mount Everest, and there's okay. only one space to go to. No, but so. there's. People seek thrills for deep and um, evolutionary reasons. Apparently, ah oh, man, you can't just do that. You can't just make these statements like what that. What do you mean? No, that the people who don't take risks get eliminated. Uh-huh. There's something about us, the people that go right, over the hill right. to look in the valley. People who they take risks, discoveries. people who take risks, get eliminated too. <laughs> <laughs> so, just excuse yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> but it's deep within us to drive. But but those who survive. <laughs> Survive longer than those who never took the risk well, the in tribes. the first place. Yeah, the tribes. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's how you got to word that sentence. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So what the, else you got? the, the, the inherent benefit of risk taking is long term. <laughs> <laughs> medium. Right. So short term disaster, long term benefits. And it may accrue to your descendants, but only if you have descendants before you go on that risky venture. Uh, right. Otherwise, or, you are wiped from the gene pool. Or you, or you pull it off. You, you go over the hill, make the discovery, and come back. Right. Okay. Or do it and never come back and start your and own the people come with you, yeah. colony. Yeah. Okay. okay. What else? Super cool, man. All right. This is Matt Kennan, Matt Kennan 08 at Twitter. He wants to know this. Can we alter the popular notion in the media that a failure means nothing Bill, learned? Go for it, Bill. That's all you. That was, I was charmed <laughs> by the many, many news stories after the Antares rocket blew up and then after the Virgin Galactic crash. Does this mean the end of SpaceX? Are you kidding? Those people are going to redouble their efforts. They're going to go back at it harder than ever. They're going to work as hard as they possibly can to solve these problems because they see the great promise. Right. Are you joking me, Mr. Question Person? And how do you really feel, Bill, about that? For crying out loud. No, when something goes wrong, you just try even harder. Right. Otherwise, you get outcompeted by the other guy who does succeed, Lee, try harder. And you know what? That doesn't, that makes, uh, it makes no difference what it is across the board. That kind of, it's a general approach. It's a general approach to life. Now, you two guys have ancestry. Yes. Where I imagine people told you you couldn't do a lot of things. This is true. And look at you both. Yep. Ruling the airwaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I come from that is my lineage. My uh, great grandfather invented uh, the horse diaper, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize they were like, "That's a disgusting premise. Why would you ever want to do no, that?" No, but if you're going to Central Park, that could be just the thing. There you go. So thank Grandpa Nice for that. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> is that true? Huh? Is that true? Now, Neil, you know better than that. I don't know. Stuff <laughs> I, out of your mind. I don't know. <laughs> no, but one of the one of the perennial jokes about space exploration is how do you evacuate your bowels and empty your bladder? And this is a very serious problem that has to be solved when you're going to fly in space. Yeah, at zero gravity. Yeah, yeah. And you're a horse. Uh, you're an owner of a horse, and you have and patrons, you're zero G, right? And you have patrons <laughs> riding in your handsome cab. You're listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Welcome back to Star Talk. Here's more this week's episode. Chuck, uh, Bill and I have not seen these questions. No, I br- you have not. I brought him along because they're rocket questions I would not be able to answer. Mm-hmm. That's why I brought him along for backup. And so... Give just- the engineering perspective. Yes, exactly. So what do you have for us? All right. So here's a... Speaking of engineering wonders, let's talk about a little Rosetta Filet. So um, this is from Andy Stenz, who wants to know... Um, what if another civilization seeded comets and asteroids, etc., with organic material trying to propagate life around the universe? Is that feasible? I mean, where he's talking about is the fact that we were able to land on a comet. So he's uh, in a in a longer version. He says, "Would we be able to actually do something like that? Take who we are, and instead of sending a rocket, we put who we are on a comet and let who we are." Okay. Go out and leave our solar system and go forward. There's a little problem with that. Okay. Okay. The very act of landing on a comet means you have given your rocket the exact orbital trajectory of the comet itself. To start with. And, and you light another engine and push it the rest <laughs> yeah, of the way. Yeah, well, you could do that. No, so if you've matched the, the, the comet or the asteroid, then... What does it mean you to put on the asteroid? You don't need you the don't asteroid. You don't need the asteroid. That's what, what you're saying. That's exactly I my got point. It now. Right. Oh no, no, the asteroid, uh, Neil. Yes. From an engineering standpoint. Yes. These kids who want to mine asteroids. Yeah. You've heard about them. Planetary well, all, resources, I, for example. To quote Bill, all the kids are trying to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The big thing they want to mine is water. Yeah, mortar. And then what they want to do is take solar panels mm-hmm. to make electricity from the sun. Electrolyze the water so that it becomes H2O becomes hydrogen and oxygen. Mm-hmm. Break then, it apart. Then put it back together as rocket fuel in a very fast fashion mm-hmm. and get a jolt. And get a jolt. So this is not, I mean, it's extraordinary, but not completely unreasonable. But so you're saying you would go to the asteroid that is a source of water for future rocket fuel for you. And so the it's, word a, it's a filling be, station. It's a filling right. station. That's all. I'm good with that. might be closer to comets. Yeah, something yeah. icy. I'm good. I'm good with that. And there, there are water-rich asteroids that are not uh, comets. So, right. So, no, that's cool. I, I, th- these would be filling stations. Yeah. And so. The quick marts. It's, yeah. <laughs> if you got time. Okay. A lot of time at the quick mart. And yeah. Furthermore. Otherwise, you got to look like a Saturn V rocket where every ounce yeah. of fuel that you going to use your entire journey you're leaving with earth to take right. and then you run into the rocket equation problem there you go tell to give us two minutes on the rocket equation well everybody you know how heavy the thing you're going to try to lift is your payload that which you pay for and uh, think about this the moment you light the rocket engine the rocket weighs less with every moment of time that passes, more fuel is burned and the rocket weighs less. Mm-hmm. So the great deep calculus rocket equation question is, how much fuel do you start with? Right. <laughs> so there's that's because some of the fuel is it, to move other fuel you haven't burned yet. That's it to burn right. it later in your trajectory. It's related rates. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like doing pull-ups. You're uh yeah. yeah. You're lifting your own body weight. So yes. if, if you have long arms and you are heavy. It is very difficult to do pull-ups. That's true. And if you pooped while you were pulling up, every next pull-up would be easier. I knew this was coming. So this is the point of the rocket equation. You could also, it could just be gas. (laughs) (laughs) And the gas would have recoil effect, and you can, (laughs) ways to make the pull-ups easier for you on route. But those are, those are, uh, 
third order effects. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. What else you got? Well, there you have it, Andy. Uh, the, the answer. Well, one one other question is, uh, you don't you really wouldn't need to do it unless it's a filling station. That's the answer. Yeah, that's the answer. That's the mm-hmm. answer. All right. Let's go to uh, Jay Knickerbocker. Right, not to be confused with the New York Knickerbockers, Jay says images of the comet show in tumbling at a high rate of rotation. If that is accurate, how did Rosetta match its rotation to the comet so Philae could make a stable landing regarding the failed harpoon? How are they sure it didn't fire, or is it possible any sensors indicating such simply failed and it is, in fact, tethered. So uh, he's... I don't know there's rotating all Well, fast. the word fast. When you watch the uh, animation on the electric internet, right. it looks fast, but it's a rotation rate. It was about once every 12 Earth hours. Yeah. Is that fast? So that's not really all that well, fast. Well, it's twice as fast as the Earth spins, and right. it's a difficult deep space problem to get your... Rosetta probe rotating at about the same speed. But however, to, to the question's point, I would say that if they show the rotation on the GIF at the actual rate, that would be a really boring <laughs> GIF. Well, it'll take you a while. <laughs> it'll take to sit there for 12 hours and right. watch the thing turn around. Furthermore, it is tethered by gravity. Even right. though it's a very low mass thing, it still has It still gravity. has gravity, which is why it bounced yeah. Went up, however, almost many, uh, over yeah. a kilometer, apparently, uh, and then came kind of, back yeah, down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, all right, you got it. So there you have it, man. There you have it. Next question. And all the right. telemetry, as far as the sensors not sensing it, the telemetry is pretty reliable. And I got a question for Bill. I mean, it's named Rosetta because the Rosetta Stone, which was helped us decode ancient languages, in particular mm-hmm. uh, the Egyptian hieroglyphics, and taught me Spanish. <laughs> Well, Rosetta, the the, the, <laughs> the the name for the same thing. Okay, so but the Philae, I, I didn't do my homework on Philae. Do you? What was Philae named after? Bill, do you know? Uh, it's a nymph out there. Really? Yeah. A sea nymph that uh, where if you go towards it, you crash into the rocks. Uh, so I should know the that. water nymphs. Yeah, I looked it up. That doesn't Let sound me like you want to name. Who wants to know? Check out planetary.org and read Emily Lochtewa's blog. It's in there. Uh, uh, disclaimer. Can I, can't say that? No, no. Disclaimer. Oh, disclaimer. I'm the CEO of the Planetary <laughs> Society. Neil deGrasse Tyson's on the board of the Planetary Society. Okay. And Chuck Nice uh, will be reading went, the blog. So, Chuck, here's what went wrong with that. Dr. Tyson used the word disclaimer when I think he meant disclosure. Oh, you're right. Yeah. He's right. Ooh, totally it's, call it's me the out. Schools. Mm-hmm. It's the schools. Right. It's a rookie mistake. There you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, this is Mark Parton. Mark wants to know this. He says, good day. I heard that... Uh, it's a G apostrophe D-A-Y? Or no, it wasn't good day. Good day. It was good day. <laughs> God, there's the, the, uh, Chuck the, the adopts, Chuck adopts the, region, the regional accent. Well, he's got the DJ. The DJ voice, good day. Good day. Uh, I heard that Philae bounced off the comet before settling back to the surface several hours later. The long bounce was due to extremely low gravity. After seeing the pictures of the solid rock surface, I wonder how something with such a low gravity formed rocks. If this and other comets and asteroids were formed from leftover dust from the formation of a solar system, how did this dust compress into such solid materials without significant Gravity. This is awesome. Man, that people, was a great, was a great question, question, Mark. These are off. These people are doing their homework. Yes. So the thing is, that was great. Good day, Mark. Is that who it is? <laughs> That's who it is. It's Mark. <laughs> so when you're in deep space, there's nothing to slow you down if you're a particle of dust. One of the strange insights that troubled me as a young man, and I still stroke my chin from time to time. And you're still a young man. When you look at the dust on the bookshelf. It is a strange thing that not only is the Earth pulling the dust down or toward the center of the Earth, the dust is ever so slightly pulling the Earth up. So in deep space, when you have dust many, many kilometers apart Mm -hmm. and they're being attracted, they actually slam together at a pretty high speed. And this was one of the ideas behind the Philae probe was to figure out uh, what is the asteroid like? Is it puffy meringue or is it rocky solidy? And uh, is it a cream puff or uh, a walnut? Gotcha. And this, uh, well, it's a comet. It's, we know it's a comet, so it'll so, be mostly uh, evaporative ice. Ice, right, right. So, so here's the thing, Bill, which is which to thing. me is quite cool. 
it was not until recently that we had any clue what the structural integrity of comets or asteroids actually is. Mm -hmm. And we've seen comets go around the sun, and just the tidal force of the sun breaks it apart into 20 pieces. We had a comet slam into Jupiter. It was one piece at one time, and then became 24 broken pieces afterwards. And no one went to it with a sledgehammer. It was just the gravitational stress of going by Jupiter that did that at all. So we don't really know how tightly held together these things are. And, and that like, was part of the mission. That's part of the mission. Now, there's some asteroids that are the fragments of broken planetesimals. Those would be chunks of rock and get out of their way. Right. But comets and some other asteroids, they might be rubble piles. Right. Just rocks that gather together. There are rocks that we, there are asteroids that we know have the density, where the material is made of rock, but you calculate the density, and it's the density of something almost as light as water. Sounds like a marshmallow rock. Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like a marshmallow rock. Exactly. So you, it's got rock, but the rock isn't all the way through it. Right. It's got this, it's porous, or it's, got, or it's just a pile of rubble traveling together, pretending like it's one solid object. Oh, uh, like a bunch of little thugs. Hey, you guys, I looked up Philae. Mm-hmm. The island of time. Ooh. Philae is the island of time. Now, is he allowed to rock. pull out his thing and look up the answer? I mean, we're supposed to... Well, anyway, uh, it's just it's something I should know, and it has to do with the sun god Ra, and he, he had an island, and Philae was the island. Okay. There you have it. Yeah. So this this asteroid... Philae sounds a little Latin rather than... It's Greek, I think, when you get the pH going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So 67 CP is... Exactly that, yeah. Uh, Russian words, <laughs> excuse me. Nobody named John Smith ever discovers a comet. It's 67 CP... <laughs> Uh, would be an island of time. It's Cher Cherimaninov. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I did okay. it for several days, and now under pressure, <laughs> I'm blowing it. Go take it. What else you got? All right. So that, by the way, was a great answer for Mark. There's your answer, Mark. Um, this is this is how. Oh, oh, by the way, just while we're there, mm -hmm. if there's an asteroid headed our way and you want to deflect it, yes, and you lay and you send something that's going to push it, and you later learn that it's made of a rubble pile. You end up pushing some of the rocks and not the others. Right. So you want to know what this thing is made of and how it's held together before you do any of these rescue missions or any kind of mission at all. And, it's, and like, like Bill said, that's part of the reason why we went there in the first place. And this is a big push at the Planetary Society is assessing the near-Earth objects. Right. Did I mention planetary.org? Did I disclose Disclosure. That I'm dis the dis CEO what's and the, Neil's what's, on the board. What's the word I use? I'm so I'm embarrassed. You went uh, disclaimer. Disclaimer. Said. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm embarrassed. I wasn't disclaiming anything. I was disclosing. I'm so. embarrassed. Uh, we'll get through. Okay. What else? <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Another great question. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, you know what? This is a pretty. Uh, this is Chris Van Gundy. A pretty simple, straightforward question. All right. How can we determine the difference between a brown dwarf and a large? Rogue planet. Ooh. Mm hmm. Ooh. Well, brown you dwarfs use are your, still like uh, GPS. Well, brown dwarfs. <laughs> Is that what you use? <laughs> yeah, we showed a, a a rogue planet in in Cosmos and showed that with infrared filters, it's still sort of radiating the heat left over from its formation. There, it is hotly debated still. Get what, it? Hotly debated. Exactly. Ah. What is the boundary between? A brown dwarf and a and a planet. Just at what point do you say this is a planet? This is not a planet. And now you got like the beginnings of a star. And then when do you have a star? Right. So we have one like Jupiter. That's a beginning. Well, you know? Jupiter is is still a way a little too light to have. Ever, it's a star that never made it, but it's not like it was close. Okay. And so Jupiter is not massive enough to be. So we have people working on how to define brown dwarfs. Is it chemically? What's going on in the atmosphere? Is it temperature? But then the temperature changes over the life of the thing. Are the school kids going to have to relearn. I know. And thing? then as the temperature changes, the chemistry of the atmosphere changes. So what are you going to observe about it in order to say what kind of object it is? And is the object changing? And so, so it, it's still a hotly discussed topic. Look at that. Albeit at about three Kelvin, three degrees above absolute zero. Uh, it's hotter than that, yeah. Hundred is it a hundred Kelvin? Well, what for the temperature of the stars? A brown dwarf. Oh no no no, it's Kelvin. Uh, no, no 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 sorry sorry a rogue planet. Oh, no, a rogue planet would be. I mean, it could be as much as I don't know several hundred degrees uh, Celsius. I mean, several hundred degrees, several hundred Kelvins. 
I'm oh, sorry. Did I, uh, no, let me think. Hold on. Several, several uh, hundred ten. Celsius degrees no, no, above more. absolute zero. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Let us let us agree on what scale we're using first. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, how about uh, Celsius? Surface of the sun is between five and six thousand degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a brown and and a lot of red cooler red giant stars are around three thousand, two thousand degrees. You start getting brown dwarf land when you're one thousand degrees, eight hundred degrees, and then hot planets would be. You know, 400 degrees. A rogue planet would be 400. Yeah, around there. Around wow. there. Based on my memory of how all this so shakes ba- out. So note well, uh, though the surface of the sun at 6,000 degrees Celsius sounds hot. It is hot. But a bolt of lightning's a little hotter. Ooh. What? Yeah. Oh, snap. That was pretty cool because a, a bolt of lightning is hotter than the sun. The well, no, excuse the sun. me, the, not the center of the sun, the surface of the sun. Oh, surface okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, to, to, not okay. that you feel better. Now, now. I feel better. <laughs> Hence the expression. Now, now my mind isn't nearly as blown. Hence <laughs> the expression. It was like I got stuck with the surface of the sun. Yes. No, see, that wouldn't, that that wouldn't be, be nothing. Right. Yeah, it's a bolt of lightning. Now, now you're talking. Okay. All right. I don't so, know. If, do we have time for one more? If it's quick, go. Oh God. Okay. Here we go. Exclude this, this is from this is from this Dan Zimney. Excluding the size and the distance from the sun, does Venus have more in common with the gas giants than terrestrial planets? No. 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 <laughs> Venus is a rocky terrestrial t- planet. No. Second from the sun. And no. The only reason it's hot, or the big oh. reason it's hot, is the greenhouse effect. People, that's fundamental. You're listening to Star Talk Radio. Stay tuned. More up next. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome back. Here's more of Star Talk. All right, hey, let's jump right back into this. This is Jose, I mean, sorry, Jose Javier Galvez. I had to say it like that. Uh, launching a so space- I could do him some, some, some regional accents. Right? Yes. So this is, launching a space shuttle was originally estimated as very low cost, but in the end, it went up to a billion dollars per launch, which made it kind of unmanageable. Uh, do you think the same can happen now with private companies as they face the huge challenges and risks of space flight? Time will tell. And by the way, one billion was an estimate for a while. Now, all in, people are throwing around the word, uh, the number one and a half billion per shuttle flight. So here's the thing: when you the um, space shuttle was built by NASA, and there are ten NASA centers, and this was a brilliant idea in 1958 that it it made the space program, uh, if I may, uncancelable. Ten centers across the country. Across the country. In eight states. Too big to fail. Well, too big uh, to well, close. Just too many congressional interests to get uh, shut down. Right. And so now, uh, t- everybody keep in mind, when we talk about space exploration technology, SpaceX, and we talk about Boeing, these companies are taking billions of dollars uh, to produce rockets for uh, – the larger good for the public good to fly astronauts from many nations to space. Uh, but when you visit SpaceX, the factory is a big horseshoe. The train cars show up full of steel and aluminum. 
They unload this stuff. It goes into the factory. They hammer it out to the right shape. They stir weld it with the world's largest stir welder machine, which is a fabulous friction thing. Then they put all the wires in, and they pressure us, and they make the pressure tanks, and they install the pressure tanks. It goes around the big horseshoe, the big letter U, and it goes back on a different train car and goes to Cape Canaveral or Vandenberg Air Force Base, ready to fly. That's the premise of the bit. So it is believed that you'll be able to lower the cost of making rockets. So we will see. Are there subtleties? Are, is there expertise that NASA had that these new companies, by new I mean more recently developed companies, do or do not have? Mm-hmm. Time will tell. When it comes to Boeing, they've been building all kinds Disclosure. of rockets for years and Disclosure. years. Disclosure? I worked on at Boeing. Okay. Yeah. okay. I, have some, I have some loyalty to Boeing, but I'm not uh, – either way. You worked on the jumbo jet. Worked on 747. Yeah. yeah it was very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Loyalty to that. A lot of vertical tail. Fabulous leading edge flap system. You got to- <laughs> hey, listen, what can I say? Uh, and, uh, I, I and- can never hate on a man for getting a little vertical tail. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I just... You had me a tail, Bill. <laughs> you know, in the, uh, in the aerospace industry, we Not call that tail, vertical, tail. vertical tail. We call that empennage. Empennage. So you, I see in your hand you have a pen. Yes, sir. That's from the Latin word penna for feather. Mm-hmm. So we write. We used to write with quills. Correct. Now, airplane, uh, the shaft of an arrow is the fuselage, right? Mm-hmm. The tail feathers are the empennage. Ah. And airplanes have an empennage, and my understanding, in your experience, you have three children. Uh, there's been there's been quite a uh, some empanage. successful. <laughs> it's a lot empanage. of information. I was going to let it taper off, but you're going to. Ah, no, that's cool. It's all good. That's very cool. Huge all fan. Right, let's go to Facebook and James Fish and James oh, wait, says, wait, 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 wait. I got to add something to this. Go ahead. So the shuttle would have been less per launch, right? If we had fifty launches a year. But the it turned out to be too dangerous and complicated. Too complicated, and the parts were being used. And then, when do you replace it? Do you need a new part or one that's battle tested? And so, part of a business model is always: can you reuse the the vessel? And modern airplanes are used multiple, multiple times, times a day. Right. If the you people had people flying airplanes now are younger than the planes, right? If you flew an airplane and each time you threw it away. That's a different business model. We wouldn't be flying. Right, so wouldn't much. be flying so right. much. Exactly. Okay. okay well, go on. well, there you go, Jose. There's right. the real answer. How do we do it? Volume. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Our manager is out of town. We must be crazy to offer these prices. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to Facebook and James Fish. And here's what James has, James has to say. There's a lot of talk about quantum computers and how they could change the face of predictive modeling. What potential could it have to change artificial intelligence and lead to a robot uprising? I thought he was going to and change the face of space travel, but he went with robot uprising. Rising. So everybody, I'm all for the singularity when computers are as smart as people. But computers and uh, the quantum computing thing run yes. on electricity. And right now, someone literally has to shovel the coal to keep the robots going. So uh, I'm all for this robot uprising as long as there's an infinite supply of electricity. Well, what if they're controlling the nuclear power plants that they're going to – okay – Knock yourselves out. They're it's, in control of the grid, Bill. I think it's a long way off. Well, no, they yeah, were Bill, designed if, by if, us. If the computer has the quantum, they'll control the grid, right? And They're not going to wait for you to plug them in for them to take over no, your life. But who's going to shovel the coal? They, they will. Oh, is They'll that invent right? a version of themselves that'll shovel oh, the they coal. they will. So anyway, let's change the subject. Plus, wait, plus, you speak like the. it's weird that the robots need some special source of energy. So do we. Yeah, because We serious? eat food three at least times a day. Just, just, we need. And you're saying we create us by means of uh, empennage interaction. Yeah, that's there correct. There we go. And uh, so you're saying it's sort of six or one. Okay, so by the way, changing the subject back to me. I have a little thing about the singularity. Okay. In my now, just book. to be clear, there's an astrophysicist at the table. If you use the word singularity, you have to clarify that you're not using not it talking about at, uh, the beginning of the universe. You're not talking <laughs> about the beginning of the universe or the center of a black hole or any other yeah, previous yeah. use of the word singularity. Go. I uh, love this tension. We're getting to uh, where computers, computers have enough computational power to be like a human brain. And uh, in my book... Undeniable. Uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, <laughs> I, um, 
have a little discussion about this. You can go to places in the world where people have not made a phone call, not made a cell phone call, not made a phone call. I'm not saying they won't change in the next little while, but it's going to be just, it may be later than you think when there's a robot uprising taking over the world. The robots show up in Western China and they go, well, there's no place to plug in, man. I'm sorry, dude. And uh, they, they're not very productive, let alone take over the world. Of. <laughs> uh, I, I take it you're, you don't believe it. You no, don't no. Believe it. Just, it's, it's not, it's just there's not a lot of happen. other things to worry about. I, I agree with Bill. There's, there's nothing about it that sounds impending to me. Okay. Though it be impending to others, which is the perfect setup for like a cult. Right, the world is going to come and to an, it'll change really soon, really fast. Just join the bandwagon. Right, just money. right. Send money now. <laughs> you know? But that's not what Kurt, he's not asking you to send money. I, I am. To, I want to get Ray Kurzweil on the show. The the the, the big yeah. the exponent of of the singularity. We'll get try to get him on Star Talk. Okay, so that he can speak for himself rather than me commenting on what others have said about him. And he may be right. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, don't worry about it is the answer <laughs> to your question. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, chill, chill chillax out. on that one. Chillax, baby. All right. All right. Okay, let's go to Robert Hartley, who is also coming to us from Facebook. Hello, guys. I'm from Auckland, New Zealand, uh, just in case Neil asks, because sometimes you want to know where people are from. In regards to the Ontario's failed launch, how much doubt would the team have to have that the mission would go unsuccessfully before making the decision to abort? So what is the protocol for an aborted launch? What has to happen where you go, ah. Oh, it's two different things. Forget that. There's canceling a launch. Okay. And then there's abort in flight. So canceling, we're going to put it off. Or postponing is a, probably a better verb to place forward, to place ahead, to place later. Postponing is where people ask themselves, is this going to work or not? Abort generally means once the thing's flying and it's going to cause trouble, should we blow it up? In the case of the last Antares launch, it was self-upblowing. So Which self, was it was a self-aborting flight. <laughs> yeah, <then>. Undesirable. <laughs> that, was, that was a design feature. Actually. Yeah, exactly. No, no, so, so, I mean, Why is that clock ticking down? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that sound? So anyway, uh, I know what you mean, but this is why you have managers, and this is why you have managers you want to be uh, literate with technically, who want to know what's going on and can, it, can make decisions based on learned input from their subordinates. Can you be a good manager going to managerial school, or did you have to be an engineer to manage engineers? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, so many of the Fortune 500 companies are run by engineers. Okay. So, well, could, well, many of them are tech companies. Yeah. So uh, is there a connection? There? In other words, could such a tech company be run by somebody who is not engineering savvy? Mm. And the answer is, uh, I don't know, man. But when it comes <laughs> to rocket launches... You really want people in charge with experience. Right. And this is, mm -hmm. you know, just to talk about the Planetary Society yet again, on our board is Scott Hubbard, who became the Mars czar. Under, and NASA. Yeah. So there was Mars. Uh, faster, better, cheaper was the, the way of thinking. The modern word people throw in is mantra. This is what we're going to do. Faster, better, cheaper. And, and so there were some successful missions, but there was Mars Climate Orbiter. Mm. Which went off into deep space because we interchanged English units with metric it units. Went off into deep space instead of arriving at Mars. Yes. And then Mars Polar Lander, which became Mars Polar Crasher, because the landing gear deployed and the software thought that it had been on the surface. But, uh, I mean, rather, there was a little shake and the software thought it was on the surface, but it was still in space. And it crashed. So we brought in, NASA brought in Scott Hubbard who was a manager. He managed it. He figured out who knew what he was doing and who didn't, and he made some personnel changes. And then we had the successful landings of <laughs> spirit, opportunity, and curiosity. Sound like some pink you don't regret action. who you fire. You regret who you don't fire. So uh, I didn't make that up. That, that's uh, that's an ancient wisdom. Chuck, we got time for one oh, more, more question. Oh, hey. Bill Wanders. It's management as well as technical problems. All right. So there you have Last it. Last question. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, this is from Matt Eli. And Matt wants to know this. If life were on a comet, would we know it? Also, Ooh. I heard mentioned that they are trying to see how much of Earth's water came from comets. Furthermore, there are amino acids on these bodies. These are acids with carbon and double bond, double bond, oxygen, oxygen. Which are the building blocks of life? And so exactly. So where is the line drawn between an amino acid out there in space and you and me? 
Neil. I thought you were going to chime in with some brilliant insight, Ooh. astrophysical, astrobiological insight. Well, there is some. There are ideas put forth back in the 1960s and 70s, led by Fred Hoyle mm-hmm. and his collaborator Wick Ramasinghe, who suggested that perhaps there were bugs in space, and that if the solar system moved through a virus-contaminated cloud, a, a big idea that the whole Earth would be contaminated all at once, and they put that forth as the reason for the 1918 flu epidemic. Okay, so, and bugs as in bugs. Okay, gotcha. Right, as a disease. As a disease. Dis- disease. The notion that you can have complex molecules in space, why can't you have complex organisms? Organisms. Right, right. So uh, that it's really great science fiction material, but it doesn't really hold up, doesn't hold up. On, on, on analysis because to make complex molecules, you need high rate of collision with particles, and gas clouds are very low density, right. and so you don't have the experimenting, the chemical experimenting that would go on on a planet's surface. And so uh, if there were life on a comet and it was microbial, th- there's not any way we would know unless you land on it unless and you scoop land it up. On it, scoop and, it. And, around. And, find, and sniff around and find some goo, So which so. means we got to go there. we got to go questions. to the and we're there. Where are we alone in the universe, and where did we come from? That's why we explore I want to know where we're going. Thanks for listening to Star Talk Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Many thanks to our comedian, our guest, our experts, and I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Until next time, I bid you to keep looking up. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.